Why don't we pray together? Father, we're just so grateful for this moment, this time. But Lord, we can stand in your presence and we can declare how faithful you are. You are so good to us, God. So kind. And Lord, I pray as we just turn to your word now, Lord, that our hearts would be ready. That Lord, even now as we come to you, we confess, Lord, that there are many things in our lives that we need to bring to you, seek your forgiveness for. And Lord, we echo what David prayed, Lord, that is creating us a clean heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Please take your seats. Thank you, Hymn Sing team. Didn't they do a great job? Let's give them a round of applause. And uh, I know many people online enjoying uh, connecting with Hymn Sing, and I believe that there's lots of Hymn Sings to be, Hymn Sungs? Hymn Sings to be found. So uh, thank you so much for that. A couple of weeks ago, I encouraged us to, uh, and I'll be doing it in just a second, just to give you a heads up, um, to stand as we read the Word of God. And I said that this is something from a tradition of when I was very young, that we would stand in honor of the Word of God. We stand in honor of people uh, when they uh, are deserving of honoring, and we stand for the national anthem. And so I just invite you now to stand as we read the Word of God, Psalm 16, and it will appear on the screen behind me. Thank you as well for the encouragements. I know this has, uh, this has tugged on some people's hearts doing this. This is the Word of God here now, ready to speak to us, even in the reading of it. Let's, praise, uh, let's read. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let my Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Please take your seats. Psalm 16, Psalm of David. David has many psalms that we can press into at different times of our lives. And and I think we would all agree that we live in an unsteady, some would say shaking world right now. And so this is a message it's a, it's a devotion, if you like, a reminder. Paul reminds us constantly through the New Testament of the gospel. And this is really a reminder of what the gospel means, who we are as Christians, what we can expect and enjoy. Uh, I would love to say you are going to get great revelation this morning. And I, and I pray that will happen, but this really is a reminder. It's a message, if you like, for those who feel the world is an unsteady place. Because it really is, isn't it? And I cannot give 
the word of Lord justice this morning in the declarations he makes in his word about what we can expect and hope for at times of crisis. We just have a, we don't even really need to spend too much time on the news to remind ourselves of pandemics, the war in Ukraine, and not just the war in Ukraine, the wars that are raging around the world that maybe do not get the media highlight that Ukraine does. Ukraine is close to our heart, and so it's important that we pray for and stand united with Ukraine. But this is a time of crisis, the shootings that we've, uh, we've been hearing about in the last couple of weeks. And then the knock-on effects that bring it close to home. And, and honestly, in comparison to children being shot, these things are really nothing. And yet, if we're honest, there are moments in our lives when we're actually questioning, well, what is next for us? Maybe it's the increase in prices or the housing or just driving past a gas station seems to be a cabaret act every day. Something new to expect every day. Is it going to be up or is it going to be down? And we all know the answer to that is going to be up. Maybe your own personal world is shifting. Maybe it's your health, the health of a loved one, the loss of a loved one, uncertainty about a job or career, uncertainty around a relationship. Maybe your personal world is shifting. And uh, this is the message for you. Because as we look into David's life, we see crisis and shaking continually. Whether it him being chased around the wilderness by King Saul regularly, um, or that he had children. One was a rapist, another one a murderer, and, and the same one that rebelled and took his kingdom away. The plagues, the list goes on and on and on. And David truly did experience crises in his life that we can read about, and more than that, we can actually see his response to. I'm so grateful for the Psalms. You see the heart of somebody in the Psalms. You see the heart of David in the Psalms, and that certainly is the case with the Psalm that we just read in Psalm 16. His writing is filled with cries for a steadfastness, a steadiness, if you like, a life that cannot be shaken. That's what his cry is. And as we turn to the Bible and we turn to history, we see time after time stories, narratives of Christians that have lived lives that are steady. When everyone else is unsteady, these Christians, and you can track them right back to especially the point where, where Phil was talking last week of, of, uh, of, of Pentecost, almost immediately the persecution starts. They were constant, they were bold, they were unwavering in the face of death, torture, imprisonment, crisis. To quote David from the psalm we have just read, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Isn't that our prayer? To live lives that are so steady, to live lives that are constant, to live lives where even though the world might be shaking, we don't. That is the promise of the scripture. That is the promise of Jesus this morning. That is the promise of what it means to be Christians. And as I preached a couple of weeks ago, Christianity is so much more than just going to heaven. Christianity, and that is beautiful, I'm going to be talking about that, but Christianity is about living kingdom life now steady. Where people would look at our lives and go, what is it 
that you hold on to? What is the foundation of your life? Christians over the years still today meet persecution, crisis, torture, and death with an astonishing spirit and courage. As the early church fathers said, our people die well. That is the legacy. That is the foundation. That is the example that we have been set That we can actually see a world turned upside down because of the resolve, the steadiness, the lack of shaking in our Christian lives. That's where the whole of the Roman Empire was turned on its head as a result of this small group, motley crew if you like, of of early Christians who really didn't have the books and the podcasts and the services and the teachings that we have today. What they had was a spirit living alive in them that they took into the world that Phil spoke about last week and I encourage you to listen to that message because that spirit that turns worlds upside down, that this movement continues to turn the world upside down. What happened to them? Well, we can read in Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Literally, literally they had an experience with a constant, courageous, steady, bold Jesus that radically changed their lives. That every one of us, and those of you in the room who would declare that Jesus is your King and Lord, let me tell you, friends, this is the life that we are called to, empowered for, filled for. The cry of David's heart is our cry, that we would have a refuge. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, 70 years, couple of minutes or you're just still looking into what Christianity is all about. Let me tell you, the cry of human's heart is the same. We want a safe place. We want a place that we can stand and not be shaken. The word shaken literally means that I won't slip. I won't move. I won't be brought down. I will not deviate. And I know that this is not a Christian's cry alone. This is the cry of humanity. Because what we do is we reach out for other things where we feel there's going to be a solidity and a foundation. Solid, sure, unshaken. So I want to ask three questions this morning. As we work through some of the verses in Psalm 16, this this reminder that we can all hopefully be encouraged about. The three questions are this. Why is it vital to have an unshakably steady life? Why, oh, no, let's go ahead. Uh, why do our lives shake and become unsteady in the first place? And how do we gain and develop an unshakably steady life? That is my prayer this morning, that we would learn what an unshakably steady, bold life looks like and how do we get it. But first, the first question is, why is it vital to have this, unsteady, uh, this unshakably steady life? Why is it vital, especially now in our moment of history, that we need Christians, we need people, we need cities and communities and neighborhoods filled with people who are shake, unshaken regardless of what's happening in the world? Why is it vital? Well, this is quite obvious. Our world is always going to shake and be unsteady. <laughs> It's not going to stop. It just comes up with new and creative ways to do it. It's not going to stop. So why do we need to be unshakably steady? 
Because the world is always going to shake and always going to be steady. For those of you who are more scientifically minded, uh, I'm not. I was a kind of more of an arts person when I was at school, communication and English. And, and, uh, and, you know, but I, I take an interest in science. There's a level of understanding when it comes to science that I tap out. Um, even reading this, um, this, uh, uh, this statement is, uh, is my tapping out point, if I'm honest, but I'm, I'm relying on people who know way more than me. Um, there's, there's a law called the second law of thermodynamics. I'm just impressed I can actually say that word. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics tells us this. This is not a Christian law. This is a physics law. tells us this. Uh, maybe I should have by a show of hands those of you who already know what the second law of thermodynamics is. Wow, really? Should I test them? Anybody up in the balcony? Oh, really? Okay. So those are all the physics people. God bless you. Then you will know that the second law of thermodynamics says this. Everything is running down. Everything is decaying. Everything is shaking. Everything is coming apart. You can prove it by getting a steaming hot bowl of, I don't know, chicken, put it into the middle of your table, it's full of energy, so energized you can't actually eat it because it's so hot, but give it long enough, the second law of thermodynamics will start cool, it, it starts to cool down and you leave it there long enough, eventually the second law is going to be proved even more because you can, after a few weeks or months, you will come back and it will be completely decayed, it will stink. That's the second law of thermodynamics. And physicists tell us that everything in the universe, including our sun, is going to be, uh, is dictated to by this second law, that eventually the sun will burn out. Praise the Lord, aren't you feeling encouraged? But this second law of thermodynamics is part of our everyday life. I was actually looking on the internet for an example how I could prove to you that this is the case. And recently, uh, I came across a story. Rob and Gracie Jones, somewhere in America, I didn't write this down, uh, were doing some renovations on their house uh, in, from 1959. This is when the house was built. And they were taking down the bathroom wall and found... Some McDonald's from 1959. What was really intriguing was how well preserved the fries were. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I want to see a close-up of those fries. Mmm, supersize that, please, right? Isn't that amazing? From 1959, and, uh, and the, the quote that really made me laugh is, Gracie said, we'd be happy to sell it. So there are people in the world who will still buy this second law of thermodynamics, but are remarkably well-preserved. Just think about that next time you're eating some McDonald's. It tastes so good. Our possessions are affected by this second law of thermodynamics. Everything you own will one day end up on a landfill. Everything. Think about that first car. I was thinking about my first computer, ZX81. Look at that. That was my first computer my mom and dad bought me for a bazillion dollars, probably back in the day, sometime in the 80s. It had 1K of RAM people, 1K. You actually had to buy it as an addition. Now, I went online and I looked. These things are worth $600 now, mom, dad. $600. It's going to land 
on a landfill. Everything you own ends up on a landfill. The second law of thermodynamics, I'm just pressing this home, also affects our biology. How many of you have ever had the experience of going to sleep at night and you wake up having pulled a muscle? <laughs> second law of thermodynamics. You know, you lift up a cup of coffee, ooh, pull your neck. Everything is decaying. I'm going to use myself. I am inevitably falling apart. The energy is dispersing from me. It doesn't matter how much I jog or cycle or eat kale, furry, broccoli, really. It's not going to reverse the energy dispersing. The second law of thermodynamics ultimately is you're going to fall apart. Praise the Lord. Our society and the second law of thermodynamics. You sounded really smart and modern 30 years ago. Can I tell you? That the things said 30 years ago, you only need to watch a movie from 30 years ago to know that the things and the worldview from then has decayed, that now it sounds hateful, obscene, primitive, and it's horrible stuff. It's embarrassing. What's really fun is those of you and us who think that we're so enlightened now that, oh, isn't my worldview is so wonderful, I'm so brilliant, we finally arrived at our right view, look at me, our culture just has it nailed. 30 years, you wait. People will look back at what you think and what you've put on social media and go, really? Just be careful what you put up on social media. Our economies, our relationships, our fill in the gap is slowly decaying. Why do I say this? I'm saying this because we need a firmer foundation than anything else found on this planet. We need a foundation on which we can build our lives that doesn't shake because everything else is shaking. Physics tells us that. And the crazy thing is, is we rely on those things that I just listed, our possessions, our relationships, our ability to make money. We look at all these things as saying that is our foundation. But give it long enough, it will shake. We're crying out for a safe place. We're crying out for a refuge, just like David did. We're crying out for something that isn't natural, second law of thermodynamics, but supernatural, Something that gives us, like Abraham said here, the foundation that we can build our cities on, where the architect is God. It's the human cry. So why is it that we need an unshakably steady life? It's because the world will always shake. Secondly, why do our lives shake? Why is it that even though the world is shaking, why is it that our lives shake within it? really interesting what David says in verse 4. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. See, David's moment in history was filled with lots and lots of different types of gods. They had a God for everything. And we're far too cultured for that, right? We're, you know, we don't have gods. I don't know how many of you have got little idols set up in your front room where you're sacrificing small animals to it or something. I, I, I don't know. If you do, please take and make an appointment with Pastor Phil. He would love to chat that through with you. Like we don't have gods. Oh, friend, we really do. We really do. We just use different names. And what's really interesting is David doesn't say, I believe those who believe the gods. It's those who run after the gods. It's those who chase after. In fact, if you look at the root meaning of this word, it's pant. It's a desperation. 
It's, I've got to have it. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. If I don't have this, if I don't have that, then my world feels like it's coming apart. This word pant after another God is so significant because it's not just about things that you believe in. And trust me, you can believe in lots of really, really good things. It's the have-to-haves. You can believe in things that God in his grace has given to us through common grace. You can believe in, in, in money and family and career and getting a good grade at school or whatever it might be. Those are th- things are good things. But if they become a have-to-have thing, then suddenly they become a G, small g. And David says that if you are panting after that. I made a decision a few years ago, and I, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody um, I made a decision that I can no longer go into Christian bookstores. Uh, and there might be some of you with, in, the same, in the room with me like that, um, that I feel your pain. Because I noticed as I was getting in, going into Christian bookstores, there was uh, more and more kind of tapestries appearing. And the tapestries and the posters are all so quaint. You know what I mean? Especially the one as the deer pants for the water. You know that beautiful scripture? You know, you've got a beautiful scene with mountains and lakes and a beautiful... Oh, I know I'm offending somebody now because you might have this on your wall at home. I'm so sorry. Um, but, you know, and there's that beautiful deer lapping water as the deer pants for the water. You actually look at it. It's a dying deer. You don't have that picture on your wall. Well, maybe you do, some of you. I don't know, but... The, the image of a dying deer is not a good one. And so, you know how Pastor Phil talks, it seems that no matter where he goes, he runs into a bear, right? Like, he's going to Canadian Tire. There's a bear in aisle number four. I don't know. That's what it feels like. And I have been on a walk with him, and that has actually happened. For me, the equivalent is deer. Deer seem to throw themselves at my car. At my, I've killed four deer. The hunters in the room, take that. Four deer. And I did it without a gun. I just set traps around my house. They're called fences. And I won't go into a great deal, uh, a great detail. My first deer, I know some of you know the story. I was driving uh, through Manning Park. We were fresh off the boat, literally brand new in Canada. The only thing that you hit in Britain, this is going to offend some of you. This is the second thing that I'm going to offend you with. I'm sorry. I actually said this story once at a youth camp, and I got a letter of complaint. So uh, it's a good story. Um, I was just driving through Manning Park. The only thing you really have to worry about in Britain is hedgehogs. Or, or a cat, you know, and generally you have to swerve a few times before you get it. Um, <laughs> but we were just driving through Manning Park, and we were just, I was going the speed limit, and my wife is there, our two little children, was like six and four, and I hit a deer. A deer just bounded in front of me, hit the thing, it was in the middle of the road, and I could see it was panting, it was dying. I don't know what I have to do. And so, as you know, the story is somebody helped me out. I had a guy turn up, you know, in, like in a really big truck, and we were both looking at this deer, and he said these words. I always remember them. They're seared. My kids' faces are pressed up against the back of our van in horror. And this guy says, well, he says, you're going to have to put it out of his misery. I'm like, I, I, oh, I don't know how you do that. And he went, you ready? This is so Canadian. I love it. He said, well, he said, I'll do it if I get to keep it. Isn't that amazing? 
And I'm not going to tell you what he did, but he did it. And he got to keep it. My kids are like, it was a traumatized ride. There is nothing peaceful about a dying deer. This deer that David is talking about is panting after. I have to have this. I have to have water or I'm going to die. David is saying, I have to have the presence of God. Otherwise, my life is not worth living. And what he's pressing us towards is this, is what do you, what do I, friends, pant after? What do we run after in our lives? What do we make our divine savior? What do we look to for safety and refuge and solid foundation that ultimately is going to shake? What is it that we're looking to every day of our lives that in reality, regardless of what we say, our lives betray us and you can see in as you reflect on yourself that actually we're panting after something that ultimately is going to shake. David says, what is it that you run after? He recognizes that the people around him are running after God's and ultimately it's going to bring sorrows, literally pain, injury, hurt. Because the gods always disappoint. Because the, the things that we make gods in our lives, the things the have-to-haves, actually ultimately disappoint us because they're not up to the task. You're worth more than that. You've been created for a divine in you. And we replace the divine with possessions. We replace the divine with our career. We replace the divine with our families. You're worth so much more. And ultimately, they will disappoint. And the foundation shakes And then our whole life shakes as a result. So what David does in Psalm 16, he says, listen, there's an alternative. He shows us a beautiful alternative, this unshakable, steady life. The Lord is my chosen portion. And my cup, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. And my heart instructs me. See, he gets this constant rhema word from the Lord that says, it's going to be okay. I have a beautiful inheritance for you. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore... My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. Please remember, he's declaring this in the middle of crisis. This is a man who is declaring unshakability in an unsteady world. Why? Because his cup overflows, his cup is filled, his attention is set, his foundation is sure, because his foundation is on a steady, unshakable God, not on anything that he might find in his world. So this forces the final question. How do we gain and develop an unshakably steady life? Can I tell you something that we don't do often enough, friends? Number one is we need to fix our attention. We need to reflect what's happening in our lives, what's happening in the lives of our families, what's happening in the lives of our children, our grandchildren, our friends. What's happening in the world. And rather than being quick to act, and I find this part difficult, we should slow down and contemplate. We should slow down and reflect. And we fix our attention on something because not everything is falling apart. Amen? Not everything is falling apart. There is something that lasts. And David experienced it. 
There is a sure foundation whose architect and builder is God. There is an invite for us to come and join him in that foundation. There is a foundation that regardless of everything that's happening in our macro global world, everything that's happening in our country, everything that's happening in our lives and in our families and in our hearts, let me just tell you, even though it might feel like you're shaking, be encouraged, friend. There is a solidity. There is a surety. There is a sure foundation. A foundation that will outlast the sun. A foundation that will outlast the mountains, civilizations, economies, your job. A foundation that will outlast the biology. A foundation that will outlast the possessions that we all enjoy. There's an unshakable one in a shaking world. Someone who truly is worthy of the chase, the pursuit, the panting after. And his name is Jesus. Not just believing in Jesus, running after Jesus, pursuing him, chasing him. Jesus himself, sorry, John says in talking about Jesus near the end of his, uh, uh, the gospel, John in chapter 20 said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And many of us stop there. We're believing, we're going to church, we're going to the Bible study, we're listening to the podcast, and those things are good. But then John continues, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, yes, he's speaking about a conversion for sure, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But he's also talking about ongoing kingdom, everyday pursuit life, an unshakable life. Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Why does he say that? Because he is the firstborn of creation, Colossians 1 tells us. He is first. Jesus will not be made second to anything or anyone or any circumstance that we can point to. You cannot fit Jesus into your life conveniently for when the time comes that you think we have time to go or do or give. Jesus will not be second to anyone. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is first. He is preeminent in all aspects. So point at something, anything at all in our lives, and mentally say to yourself, Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first in that. My children, Jesus comes first. How do I show my children that Jesus is first? How do I show my colleagues? How do I show my employees? How do I show my neighbors? The person I'm sat next to waiting for a bus. The pers- How do I show that Jesus is first in my life? One of the hardest things, especially for youth and young adults to understand, is that when you make a decision to go out with somebody or date somebody who doesn't know Jesus, what you're doing is every day is you're communicating that Jesus isn't necessarily first. That when you make that more of a shady deal that you think not many people will know in business, let me tell you, you're communicating that Jesus isn't first. Because our lives have to follow. Our decisions have to follow the declaration that we use in our mouths. That Jesus is first, great. That declaration turns worlds upside down. But it's the lives that follow it. Life in my name. Not just belief, but life in my name. That we align what we do and what we say and how we think and how we do business and how we do relationships and how we do friendships, how we spend our money, how we use our time. All these things need to align behind 
Jesus because Jesus is first. And the beautiful truth as we do that as Christians, that joy will follow. Because that's the surety of the foundation because he will never let us down. Jesus even moved towards us first. We love Jesus because he first loved us, we read in the Bible. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. He did not wait for us to take that first step towards us. He takes that first step towards, sorry, we did not wait for us to take that first step towards him. He took the first step towards me. He graciously wooed me and called me. Even though I was still rebelling, he calls. We talk about this beautiful conversion experience where God shakes our world so that we might become unshakable. Conversion is important. We are people who preach a conversion experience. We believe there's a moment in time when you start recognizing the kingship of Jesus and you might run away from it, you might rebel against it, you might not like it, you might argue against it, but all the time you just can't let go of the fact that maybe there's something about this one called Jesus. It starts there and it develops and you start recognizing his deep love for you, his forgiveness on offer for you, his death for you, the example he sets to you and he woos you and there comes a point in your life when you submit to the authority of King Jesus. We would call that conversion. When the old is gone, the new has come and a new spirit and a new life is birthed in you and it's supernatural. I love it, but it's life in his name, life in his name, that it continues after that, because look at what David says as I bring this to a close. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Do you know what occurred to me as I was reading and meditating on this verse? And I've never preached this. Pursuing Jesus is the only thing that death makes better. Pursuing Jesus is the only thing that makes death better. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you do, and I preach this, what do you do with a person like that? Listen, you let me live, it's all about Jesus. You let me die, great, I just get more of Jesus. That's a win-win. Pursuing Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate, because it's pleasures forevermore. The Lord is my chosen portion. And my cup literally means my experience. So here's my question. And I'm going to read you a quote in just a second. Here's my question. Have you experienced, have you experienced the shaking that can only come with a beautiful life transformation in Jesus? Have you experienced that? Because that doesn't come without the experience. That cup, literally, my experience, David is saying, I've experienced God. Not just believed in him, experienced him. And that might look very different depending on who you are and the situation and when it happened. But you feel the love of God, Romans 5.5, 5, pouring into your hearts. Because that is the start of a beautiful journey a beautiful portion, an amazing inheritance, an incredible pleasure forevermore. 
That's my first question. Second question, Christian friend, are you still experiencing that? Are you still experiencing that day-to-day renewal that we preach so much about? That day-to-day being filled with the Spirit. That day-to-day refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Have you, are you positioning yourself on a daily basis to say, Lord, more of you? Because the surety the foundation, of that foundation makes you unshakable. That regardless of what happens, you can find that sweet moment with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Because Jesus won't be second. He has to be first. I love this quote from Jonathan Edwards. One day, I was walking into my father's pasture. Isn't that great? Do you walk into the father's pasture? Do you go walking? And maybe even thinking that way. Next time you go and walking, you're walking in the father's pleasure. Uh, pasture. The contemplation. And I began to pray. And there came into my mind so sweet a sense of the glorious grace of God as I cannot express it. I suddenly seemed to see them both in sweet conjunction. His majesty and his meekness joined together. It's an awful sweetness. A gentle majesty. A holy gentleness. He's just out walking. Do you experience that? Have you ever experienced that? Because that is the surety of the foundation that makes in a shaking and steady world a life that is unshakably steady. Because come what may, you have a hope and a sweet, sweet, glorious presence filled with the grace of God. Doesn't that sound good? I'm preaching to myself this morning. I really am. Because there are days... I know it might come as a surprise, but pastors don't walk around in a perpetual state of this every day. Well, Phil might, but I don't. Some days are hard. Some days are so hard, but to seek his presence out, to seek his presence out, this chosen portion, this pleasant place, this beautiful inheritance, the unshakable, God-filling, encouraging, and strengthening that is on offer for his people in this life. And in the life to come. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray. We're going to take up communion. So I'm going to let Jenny lead that. But I want us to stand for a reason. And close your eyes. Lift your hands up to the Lord. This is a sign of you receiving and a sign of you giving. Praise you, Jesus. Dear Lord, we're so grateful for the promises that are found in your scripture. So grateful for the reminder that, Lord, even though our world shakes, and Lord, it feels like it's really shaking. We have so many questions. There's such deep mystery. We don't understand, Lord. But Lord, we are grateful that we can fix our attention on you as the surety and the foundation of our faith. That we can stand shoulder to shoulder with the people that have gone before us, David included, and say, he is my cup. He is my refuge. I won't be shaken. 
Lord, I pray for those in the room as we stand who have not yet taken that step. But Lord, that they have felt the wooing, the pulling, the drawing. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that today would be the day of salvation for them. That this incredible adventure called Christianity would start today. Holy Spirit, come. Do the work only you can do. Change hearts in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those in the room who have been Christians maybe for many, many years. Lord, I pray that there would be a, a beautiful conviction. Because Lord, we confess that there are many times we don't put you first. Lord, forgive us. You are so worthy. You are so worthy, so good, so kind. So Lord, I pray as we take communion, as we worship, there will be a fresh revelation, a fresh filling, a fresh renewal in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, we, um, in the Connect Cards, and the Connect Desk, if there's anything that I've said or anything that's happened today that you want to ask questions about, if you want somebody to pray with you, if you want to become a Christian, or if you want to tell us, you know what, I gave my life to Jesus this morning, then you can fill out that Connect card, and there's a space there for you to be able to tell us that, and we'd love to connect with you and pray with you. Um, that is our greatest privilege and greatest honor. And uh, yeah, it would be a real blessing.